I tell you, it's good, good stuff, guys. I appreciate it. Whew. Man. Good to see everybody. I tell you, it's, it's hot, but it's nice today to me. I'm, I'm just excited about being here. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And Acts chapter 9. I said back in January that I was going to study doctrine for the next year or so. and I can't seem to get off the doctrine of salvation. <laughs> it's no good stuff. Oh, it's such good stuff. And, and uh, I tell you, if we don't have that right, none of the rest of it matters. And I want to share a word with you today on the mechanics of biblical salvation. We talked a few weeks back about the characteristics of biblical salvation. There were three of them, if you remember. Supernatural conviction. Uh, what were they? <laughs> Wonderfully converted. Openly committed. Three characteristics, three simple characteristics of biblical salvation. And I want to share with you this morning out of the conversion of Paul about some mechanics involved in salvation. I'm careful to use the mechanics. I want to say some mechanics. There's, oftentimes there's, there's several mechanics involved. These are involved in everyone I know of who really loves God and is serving God. And it's, it's evident in their life. I can't look at anybody's heart, not even my own according to the scriptures. Um, I need him to do that. But I want to talk about a man that everybody knows. Oh, Paul. Whoo, he was something. Man, I'm telling you, a lot of people have this idea about Paul that he was this wicked, I mean, treacherously wicked, out and out, just mean, wicked. I mean, you can't say wicked enough. And then, bam, God saves him on a Damascus road. And he's this sweet old gentleman. Well, that's nothing really if you read and read any commentary and, and read the scriptures, every verse about Paul that Paul wrote, that Paul this wrote about Paul. You read some good commentary. You can even read about Paul in some historical writings, Josephus, some of the others. Um, that really is not true. Paul was a <clears throat> Paul was a very good man. Paul was a a man who had a passion for God. Now, you know, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of this myself, we, we kind of have been taught this mindset that he was this treacherous guy, and indeed he did persecute the church. But it's, it's kind of like talking about slavery and stuff like that. We really can't talk about it because we don't live back then. We don't have that mindset it's really difficult. Really what we're doing is we're parroting something we've read or been taught. We didn't live back then. We don't know how we really would have felt. I don't believe I would have ever been in favor of enslaving a human being. But I didn't live back then. I don't know how they thought. I don't know why they thought what they want. Same thing here. Paul, when he was a, when he was a lost man, yes, he did do some treacherous things. He's probably guilty of 
taking people's lives. Whether he did it by his actual hand or not, he would have given the order to. We know that about Stephen. But I don't really think we understand the mindset that they had. I often say about Muslims, real Muslims, the kind that are killing us, they have a passion for their God. That's why they do what they do, is out of a passion for their God. I'm not condoning what they do. I'm not condoning what Paul did before he was saved, but I want you to kind of this morning kind of have a different mindset about who he was. He was a good man from the standpoint of loving God. He loved God. He loved Yahweh. He had spent his entire life studying the things of God. We're not talking about an old drunk out there, some old reprobate drug head. We're talking about a man who loved God. We're talking about a man who loved the things of God to the point that he was so passionate about it that all he would do all he could do, all a lost man can do, and operate in his flesh. And he didn't even realize that his flesh was what was driving that love, and that can be a dangerous thing. I don't, we, we can study his life if you want to some at another time. But I want you to have a mindset that this guy loved God. That's the main thing I want you to, to hear this message from, a guy who loved God and a guy who loved the things of God because we're going to study the mechanics of his salvation experience. And you've you got to look at them from the standpoint there's people in this building here, not down the road. There's people in this building right here, right now perhaps, that may be just like Paul. You may love God the best you know how. You may even have a passion for God the best you know how. And the best that is able to you in and of your flesh. But maybe you've never been converted. That's the way I was. I went from being a reprobate to a man who loved the things of God, who come to God, who tried his best to come to God over a course of many years. But I wasn't converted. So I want us to look at the mechanics of salvation. What happened to this man? What happened to this man who loved God, who had the equivalent of a triple PhD in theology, but yet he was not converted? You know what happened? But God. That's my new I stayed on Luke 9.23 for a long time. And now you're going to have to hear about but God for a while. But God. Uh, Acts 9 verse 3. It says it. Now Paul, he's been out there. He's been, uh, we're going to talk about it in a second, what got him to this, this revved up place he's at. He's persecuting the fire out of the church. I mean, he's doing it. He's doing it with an honest motivation. You can be right, uh, you can be wrong, you can be sincere as you want to be and be sincerely wrong. And that's where we see Paul. He's wrong, but by George, he's sincerely wrong. He loves the faith. He loves Judaism. He loves Yahweh. He loves what he knows, what he's been taught. He knows all about it. And he's serious. He means business, buddy. He ain't some little Sunday morning Christian. He's a real deal, buddy. He means business. He's persecuting the church. And we pick up in verse 3 right here. And the Bible says, 
He's, he's in verse 2, 1 and 2, he's, he's gotten permission from the high priest to go to Damascus and persecute them. But something happens on the road. And here we go, verse 3. As he journeyed, that's Saul, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around from him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I'm going to tell you what that means in just a few minutes. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard a voice but they saw no one. That's because it's individual, folks. Revelation is individual. We'll talk about that maybe a little more if we have time. Verse 8 says, And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they said to him, they took him, they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10 says, Now when now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him that he may receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, wait a minute now. Wait just a minute. I have heard about this guy. I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road as you came, and he has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from him his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples there in Damascus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good, Lord, and I praise you and thank you for your word, God. I ask you to bless it today. Send it forth to the hearts and minds and ears of the people here today. Lord, give us ears that we may hear. Do what you will. Accomplish what you will for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The mechanics of sal biblical salvation. Number one, what happened to this old boy? God got a hold of him. Number one, confrontation. There must be confrontation. That's not a bad word. That's a good word. Confrontation in verse four. The Bible says he was on his way to go persecute the church. But guess what happened? He got confronted by the Holy Spirit. 
The spirit of the living God confronted him. But that's not the only thing that confronted him. And that's what I want to talk to you first about. The confrontation that started back over here in chapter 7, verse 1. In chapter 7, verse 1, all the way down through 8, we see another confrontation. Guess what happened? Guess what had old Paul stirred up to the point that he was ready to go and kill every one of them rascals that was preaching in the name of Jesus. Guess what happened? Do you remember what happened? Anybody? Stephen is what happened. A man named Stephen, by the way, who wasn't even a preacher, he was a deacon. And the Bible says that Stephen stood up in seven and son, he shelled down the corn. He shucked it right on down to the cob now. I'm telling you, he preached the gospel to those Jews and it burned them up. And guess who was sitting there listening? Paul was sitting there listening. And I'm telling you, oh Stephen, I, I bet old Stephen had them long fingers. I, I just got a, uh, an idea. He, he was an old big tall fella, lanky fella, old long fingers. He shoved that thing all the way in their eyes and wiggled it around. He gouged their eyes out with the gospel. They were confronted. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, was in that crowd. He heard that gospel message. For the sake of time, I'm not going to reread that whole chapter, but I challenge you to go home and read the seventh chapter of Acts and see the message that Stephen preached to him. He looked him in the eyes, he preached, he went back all the way to Abraham, and he came forward to Jesus. And he said, You murdered him. That's the gospel. You murdered him, but God. God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this. Oh, Paul didn't like that message. Why? Because he had spent his whole entire life dedicated to the God who this guy said that I murdered. He didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. You know what I didn't like? The first time I ever walked in that bow shop and I had a dip of snuff in my mouth and I had a spitball in my hand and I was dropping them F-bombs left and right, and somebody looked at me and said, "You, what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. And I didn't like it when that sucker looked at me and said that at all. You know what he said to me? Didn't have nothing to do with cussing. Didn't have nothing to do with dip snuff in my mouth, me spitting around there talking. What he was telling me was that I was the one that murdered the Messiah. That's what they were saying. Did you know that? And I didn't like it either. I said, I left there that day. I told Billy Files, he rode in a truck with me everywhere I went. I told Billy, I said, the nerve of that guy. That's how come so-and-so won't go to church. Me and Billy was big church members. You know, we went to church. That's why so-and-so, we can't get him to go to church because people like that. Yeah, it was confrontation over the word. The Word confronts folks. You hear me? There's got to be confrontation by the Word. But number two, there was confrontation by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Because that's what carried it to his heart. Romans 10, 14, and 15. This is where we come in. The confrontation of the Word. That's where we come in. Because the Bible says in Romans, he says this. He says, How, shall, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? That's not talking about some fat guy in a black suit. 
It's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about an old boy in a bow shot. Confront them with the Word of God so that you get to the next thing, the Spirit can confront them. And we see it happen right here on that wonderful Damascus Road. He journeyed, he come to a place in the spot in the road, and suddenly a light shined around him. He was confronted by the Spirit of the living God. Confrontation. Supernatural conviction. Remember? Supernatural. It's supernatural that Stephen had the exact message they needed to hear. That's supernatural. I don't just go on the internet and flip around until I find a sermon I like. Now there's some that do that, but I ain't one of them. She can tell you what goes on. A real preacher, a real preacher has spent time with God. He has a word from God or he ain't worth a nickel. It's supernatural. Confrontation. That leads to verse 5, identification. Verse 5, he said, Who are you, Lord? Now we're talking about a guy who can quote the entire Torah. Word for word. He can tell you word for word about the plagues. He can tell you word for word about Abraham. Everything that went on in Abraham's life. He can tell you all about the story of how he went and sacrificed or went to sacrifice Isaac. He can tell you all about the Levitical laws. Every one of those little intricate details and laws plus the five or six hundred or so that they had added to it. He could tell you all about each and everything. He could quote that Bible word for word. And he said, who are you, Lord? Religion don't get it. It just don't get it. You don't know God. You can know every word of the Bible. The devil knows every word. You know what? The devil believes every word. Up here. I have a theory about that. We won't get into that, but I have a theory. I think he's deceived. I really do. I think he's deceived himself. That's my opinion. You can just throw it right out there in that parking lot. He believes every word of it because he knows who God is. He knows him. He's just not saved. So, identification. Identifying who you are. Lord, who is the, who are you? And as God identified himself, you know what else got identified? Paul himself got identified. It don't spell it out in this verse. In verse 5 it just says, And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And you gotta, i got to believe that back those previous verses... That message that Stephen has just gouged his eyes out with to the point that he stood there holding the coats, giving his approval to the guys who took Stephen's life. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8. Excuse me, Acts 8. He said, I stood there holding their coats, giving my approval. That message had to have been on his mind because that's exactly what Stephen told him. He told him, who Jesus is. But he had to say, who are you, Lord? He knew here 
immediately. But as this became enlightened by through that identification became illumination. He understood who he was. God, what have I done? Oh God. If you I'm going to say something here. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I don't know what your response was when God revealed to you who you were. But I remember what mine was. God, you're right. You're right. That's all I could think. God, you're right. What else was I going to... You know, really, really some big... I'm, I'm telling God he's right. But I couldn't help it. That's the way I felt personally. God, you're right. All of this, God, God, how could I not see that? Well, you can't see it until he reveals it to you. He's got to reveal it, whether you're 8, 88, 108, no matter what, God has to reveal that to a person, who he is, who they are. Because that identification becomes illumination and it brings about that brokenness in your heart. That's how that happens. You can't muster that up. You can't muster up that kind of sorrow. The Bible calls that worldly sorrow and that leads to death. Godly sorrow is a result of it. It's because it's illuminating. Still in that supernaturally convicted place. See, we're still on supernaturally convicted. We move on from confrontation, identification, Thirdly, we go to determination, verse 6 through 9. The Bible says, So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I left out something I want to share with you real quick. That phrase there in verse 5, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, I looked that up for us. Because that's puzzled me for years, but I never took the time, never had the inspiration to go and see, search it out. Some of you may know what it means. But you know what Jesus was telling him? When he said, Paul, I'm Jesus. And you're kick, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. This is what he was saying. I looked up the language and I looked it up in English. I looked it up in several ways. This is what he was saying to him. Your resistance is futile. It's futile. Your resistance is only destroying you. It's only destroying you. You can resist all you want to to the, to the point you literally die and go to hell, but it's futile because you will bow to me one way or the other. You will do it now or you will do it at the great white throne. But as of right now, you know, because I have enlightened you, and it is futile for you to resist me, because I am God, and you will bow the knee to me, either in this life or at the great white throne. That's exactly what he was saying to him by saying, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, buddy. That's just some of that old, old English, English language. That's what it meant. Your resistance is futile. Now you know who I am. Cut and dry. 
now on to determination because he has this illumination of who he is and who God is. He comes to this place in verse 6 through 9 and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then he said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the man who journeyed with him, the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard a voice, but they saw no one. And I got a hunch, and this was, again, this is opinion. I don't know if they understood the language or not with their physical ears. Because you see, that revelation that comes to a man and reveals to him who he is and who God is is personal. That's why the old preachers would talk about your personal relationship with Jesus. It begins with a personal revelation. Now, that's not saying God don't save people by crowds because it says just a few pages back He saved 3,000 in a crowded service. That's not at all what I'm saying, but I'm saying each and every one of those 3,000 heard from God individually on their own. And they had to respond to God individually on their own. No such thing as a big old group of people getting whacked and saved like that. It's individual. Those guys heard it. They just didn't know what was going on. You ever been in a church service where God had a hold of somebody? You may, you may not have understood it, but I bet you they did. I've been there. I've been the one, I've been the one being dealt with. <clears throat> so it begins with determination number one is the acknowledgement of lordship. Back in verse, <clears throat> verse 6 he says, So he trembling and astonished said, Adonai, Lord. He knows he, in his thinking mind, this is God I'm speaking to. He, remember, he knows every word of the Bible. This is not some old drunk from a bar stool. This guy knows every word of the Bible, so he addresses him, Adonai, what must I do? Acknowledgement of lordship. My friend, this nonsense that has been preached for the last 125 years or so, that you can make Jesus the Savior of your soul and not the Lord of your life is the Greek word hogwash. It's baloney. It's fake. It ain't real because it ain't biblical. It ain't biblical. People who've been saved by these scriptures, they immediately know I didn't say they can't get sideways and get in a ditch and God had to tune his children up, his child up. I've been, you have, if you've been walking with him any amount of time. But there was a knowing in my soul that he is going to be the Lord, the boss, the owner, the master of my life from this point forward. And in that, that position, that condition of illumination of knowing who he is and who I am, I made a willful decision to receive that on his terms. And that is his terms 340 times in the New Testament alone that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Saving is what he does, but Lord is who he is. So there was an acknowledgement of lordship, but too there was an acknowledgement of his will 
be done and not mine. What did Jesus say on the, on the garden before the cross? Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, let it be. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will. And you look at verse 6, Paul said the same thing. Lord, what must I do? He knew that it was not negotiable. So you see an acknowledgement of lordship, an acknowledgement of the will of God, but also an acknowledgement that it is going to be a faith walk. Look at verse 7 through 9. The Bible says, And the the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was blind. But that didn't deter him. You know, I got thinking about it as I studied this, as I was praying over this, and it it occurred to me, you know, he could have said, man, I fell off my horse and bumped my head, guys. I thought I saw somebody talking to me and shook it off, but he didn't. He knew he automatically, I believe this is where, this is probably where 2 Corinthians 5, 7 was birthed in his heart when he looked at that crowd of believers at Corinth and he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. You had to have been thinking about that. Man, I've had to walk by faith, guys. Let me tell you about it. Because I was on the Damascus Road headed to kill you people. But God got a hold of me. It made me stone blind. But I walked with him anyway. Hallelujah, because we walk by faith and not by sight. So, an acknowledgement of lordship, an acknowledgement of the will of God, an acknowledgement of it as a faith walk. That gives us the ability to pursue him, leading to the fourth thing, revelation. We have confrontation, identification, determination, and revelation. It comes in two parts also. Verse 10 through 17, the Bible says this. The Bible says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Let's stop right there for just a second. See, it comes in two parts. Revelation comes in two parts. It comes, number one, from the subject. Paul was the subject here. He had some things revealed to him. All right, what have I got to do, Lord? Well, I'll tell you what. He could have finished it right there, by the way. He didn't need anybody. But that's not what he did. He said, I'll tell you what do. Head on to old Judas' house. It ain't Judas is scared. Another guy named Judas. He says, go on to Judas' house and wait. And I'm going to send a guy named Ananias to see you. So that revelation came in this story, in this particular story of conversion. It came in two parts through Paul and Ananias. Both had revelation. Now listen, watch what happens here. <clears throat> he says, go on over to Damascus. And there's Ananias. And he said to him, here I am, Lord. Arise and go to the street called straight and inquire of the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, behold, he's praying. He's had revelation that you're coming. And I'm telling you to go. And there's Ananias. He's just had it revealed to him. I'm doing a work in this guy and I want you to do this. Let me tell you something about that. I've told you the story before, but I'm going to tell you again. Because the Lord showed it to me in the light of these scriptures. Just, man, it just it hurts. I don't want to share it. But I got to. You see, God could have finished it on that road himself. 
He could have done it right there, but that's not the way he does things. See, in second, in, excuse me, in First Corinthians, listen to what it says. Write these verses down if you have a pen. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-three, twenty-five says, "Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age?" Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the world, excuse me, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And he went on and he said, For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To old Paul, this is going to be a stumbling block. But to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. God chose the way. Not me. Not you. Not Lifeway. Not Southern Baptist. God chose how he was going to do things. And that's what he was saying. If you read Romans 10 and you read it in context, faith comes by hearing. And hearing in context, the verse just says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the gospel. But in context of the passage, it is by the preaching of the gospel. Again, that don't mean you've got to have a suit and a title. That means you just need to be born again and love God and know God and be obeying God and you'll be preaching the gospel. So... Ananias is key here. God's going to let me tell this, I think, without weeping. There was a man in my family. God revealed to me one evening out on my father-in-law's back porch because the man made a statement. He was down. He was messed up. The last time I seen him alive, And he made this statement. We were talking about the things of God. And he said, I don't have much for all that, but I will say this. He said, Tyler Powell, you're different than anybody I've ever met. I say that to say this, shame on me. Because about a week later, God in my study revealed to me in the Word and revealed to me by Spirit. I didn't have some vision or anything like that, but God made it real and clear to me that He wanted me to go to Rodney and confront him with the Word and that He would be there in Spirit to confront him. But notice what Ananias said in verse 13. Ananias answered the Lord and he said, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. I was Ananias. And I said in my heart, Lord, you know I'll do it now. You know I'll do it. Lord, that guy's volatile. What if we get in an altercation and one of us loses their life? And understand me, young men, I wasn't worried about me getting hurt. 
but I've messed around. I always talk about this when I preach around the subject of, the, of Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac. A key thing in that story is the next morning he saddled his donkey and headed out. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Understand that. And I flim flam around there praying about it. Not praying. Praying about it when I knew what God wanted me to do. And the next time I heard from him, it was to tell me that the police shot and killed Rodney. You see, Revelation... Rodney was being dealt with and I didn't even know it because I didn't bring the subject up that night. Three lost men brought the subject up. I happened to be in it and Rodney made that statement. God was letting me know he's dealing with that man. He's revealing himself little by little to this man who's in a ditch financially. He's in a ditch legally. He's fixing to go to prison. He's in a ditch with his marriage. He's in every kind of ditch you can imagine. He's down, he's out, but i got a plan for his life. And I'm revealing to you that I'm dealing with him so that I can reveal to you over there across that road in your study, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to him. I want you to tell him this is fixable. There is an answer. It is repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may sit in prison the rest of your life, but you can do it like Paul did and be in fellowship with God Almighty. Don't give up. Go to Him. Love Him. He respects you. He'll listen to you. He loves you. And I did not do it. And He's in hell right now. And I will stand before God and I will give an account for that man's soul. And I don't like to think about it. I don't like to talk about it. But it's the reality that you need to hear that I need to keep fresh in my heart that it never happens again. Because when God reveals Himself, He's usually doing it through two different ways. He's dealing it with the subject and He's dealing it with the vessel. Ananias was the vessel. Paul was the subject. Rodney Henderson was the subject. Tyler Powell was to be the vessel. And Tyler blew it. God's forgiven me. Rodney hadn't. But hallelujah. Because the last thing is this. We've seen supernaturally convicted in the first three. The first three. Confrontation. Identification determination. That's supernatural conviction. And then fourth in the revelation we see wonderfully converted. Paul was at a place of conversion but he was not converted. He was in the state, he was where he he had had the scales put on his eyes that he could reflect on who he is and all that knowledge he had. But he wasn't loose just yet. Because God had converted him to a place where he could go 
and go and be obedient to what he was showing him and revealing him. He did that and God sent Ananias. God converted him right there on the street called straight. Scales fell from his eyes. And look at what the Bible says about it. The scales fell from his eyes. And he received his sight at once. There was transformation. That's the last thing. That's the last mechanic in this story. And it's in every story. The transformation where he becomes openly committed. We're talking about a guy who went there to kill those people. Now he's openly committed to joining them hand in hand and preaching the gospel. Verse 18 and 19 says, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days there with the disciples at Damascus. Number one, we see the new birth. The new birth. Man. John 3.3, Jesus talking to probably one of the sweetest characters in the Bible. Oh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, listen, buddy. I know you can quote every word of the Bible. I know you're the teacher of Israel. You are the Billy Graham of Israel. But son, you can't see it. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. Verse 18, that's what happened. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. You know, some births are pretty dramatic. Some are not. Mine wasn't really that dramatic. God had been dealing with me for a long time. I had been doing and going and blowing and searching and seeking. And when God saved me, it wasn't real dramatic. It wasn't like Paul where he knocked me to the ground and blinded me. You know, I think about Angie Cooley, a friend of mine. <laughs> when she had Chip, their last baby. Oh, Angie, she wanted baby-having women. Y'all know them? And baby-having women. Got them... She's about this tall and get them long hips. Boy, she, she can have them youngins. And uh, <laughs> they get her in the wheelchair in the emergency room parking lot. She, the, I mean, Chip's him. He's in the wheelchair, buddy. They got to a gurney in the emergency room. That's the best they could do. Oh, Chip was him. It was dramatic, man. There was people running and, and things happening. And I tell you, they some kids, kids sitting in that waiting room got their eyes full that day. It was dramatic. But with Matthew and Timothy, it really wasn't that dramatic. I mean, she's probably sitting there saying, you idiot, I like to die. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, we just, we're those people, we check in. We have an appointment. We check in. We get the zipper open. We have a baby. So, you know, it's not real dramatic. But the result's the same. New life. That is dramatic. <laughs> Man, new life is dramatic. Oh, boy. So we see, number one, in transformation, the new birth. But two, we see, again, immediate obedience. Look at verse 18 again. And the Bible says, he received his sight at once, and he rose up and went and got in the doggone creek right then. Now, I'm not picking on nobody. we got a few folks that need to be baptized right here. We just ain't been able. We've, maybe we've got too fancy. Maybe we need to make us a, a baptizing hole down there in that creek where we ain't got to wait and let, wait till everything's just right. 
Maybe we've gotten too sophisticated for our own good. The point is, nobody had to beg him. Nobody had to plead with him to come to church. Nobody had to plead with him to tithe. Nobody had to do none of that. Immediately he got up and he went and he was baptized in identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of the guy he was trying to kill 24 hours earlier. Immediate obedience. Tell me you've got to be discipled into obedience. That's hogwash. But third, we see physical became spiritual. Verse 19, the Bible says, So when he had received food, he didn't eat or drink a drop in three days. He's been blind. He's weak. I've, a long time ago, been on a complete fast. Nothing went in my mouth for three days. and It'll wig you out. Your body, if you ain't used to it, it'll wig you out. I know he was in a bind physically, but immediately he was, he was strong physically, but that's not the point. The, spirit, the physical became spiritual because the Bible says he went, after he received food, he went and he spent time with the brethren. The physical became spiritual in that, that immediate hunger for the, for the physical became hunger for spiritual food, fellowship. Don't tell me you love God and won't even come to this place and be with other people who love God. I don't buy it. Now, we can still be buddies. I'll still speak to you and the king chick, and I'll still love on you, and I'll do anything in the world to help you. But you ain't going to make me believe that you know God and you won't come to church. Again, I'm not talking about guys who work shifts and all that. I'm not. Justin's at drill. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that's laid up on a dead blame creek bank because that is their God. I don't want to hear it. I ain't got time to be nice about it. Jesus is coming soon, Larry Browning. I just ain't no time to be politically correct. There is a hunger for the things of God, the people of God, the places. The things of God become imminent in your life. I still love to hunt. I still love to fish. I still love to eat pork chops. But it ain't who I'm about. It ain't what I'm about. He is who I'm about. And it's been like that for over 20 years. And it ain't changed a bit. It's gotten worse. It's cause not of me. That's not of me. That's not of you guys. It's not. It's because of him. It's because of him. If you look, as we conclude the message, we look at verse 20 and 20 through 22. And it says, immediately... He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. 24 hours earlier he's trying to kill his followers. Now he says he is the son of God. And let me tell you something. He knew enough about those scriptures. He knew what he was talking about up here. But he knew the word. So he ain't just talking something. But he knows what he's talking about. He knows about the serpent being held up in the wilderness. He knows all that by the words. He knows what he's talking about. And the Bible says immediately he preached the Christ, the Messiah in the synagogues, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then all who heard were amazed. 
And they said, is this not the one who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And now he's come here for that purpose, to, to kill us, but now he's preaching so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews that dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. You know what was happening, folks? You know what happened with Paul? Same thing that happens with us. Romans 8, 29, I said that in that message about the characteristics of biblical Christianity. At the end of the day, it's about the Lord Jesus turning us into the image of His Son. That's what He said I'm going to do. He said, those I foreknow I'm also going to predestinate that they become conform to the image of my Son. That's all that happened with Paul. You got a guy who knows every word of the Bible. He is a souped up wildcat theologically, probably the most souped up guy that ever lived. But all that happened was Jesus became his life. That's it. That's the message. What about you? What about you? Has the mechanics of salvation happened in you? It doesn't have to be where the Lord struck you to the ground and made you where you couldn't see to somebody come and laid hands on you. That, that's, I, it ain't got to be that dramatic. But the mechanics are in place. You were confronted by the Word of God. You were confronted by the Spirit of God. You were, you were, you were put in a place of illumination, an identification of who you are and who God is. And in that condition, that's where repentance takes place. Because you understand I ain't 99% good and I just got this one little problem. Man, ain't none of me no good. I don't need a new patch. I need a new garment. That's where that takes place. That's why most people do not get saved. That's why our churches are filled with people who know all about Jesus, but they're lost as a golf ball in high weeds because they've never come to a place of genuine biblical repentance. And the Bible says unless you repent, you'll perish. Because that's what causes a man to be broken hearted over his sin. That's what creates that beginning of hatred for sin. Didn't say you couldn't do it because you got a flesh side. But I'm telling you right now, that's what, that's what starts and begins that drive, that passion to love God, to live for God. And when you do sin, it breaks your heart. It, it messes you up. It, it causes you... Uh, a real longing and a desire for reconciliation. That's that Spirit of God living in you. I believe anybody can sin in any fashion. I really do. I didn't always believe that so strong as I do now. But I've, over the years, I've come to a place, thank God by His grace, I hadn't been in any adulterous affair. I hadn't done any drinking and carrying on and hooping and hollering. And I'm not saying people that do that are saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I can believe that anybody can get into anything. I do. I believe anything can get a hold of somebody. The, the further you step away, the more prone you are to, to just all out warfare from the devil. You're capable of anything in and of your flesh. But a man who desires after that, who goes seeking after that, a man who can lay down and live in that, I don't believe he knows God because God's living on the inside of him if that's the case. What you're seeing is those people who know all about God like Paul. They know all about him. They were good little girls growing up. Still are. Good girls I'm talking about. That don't mean you know God. I don't. 
I'm sorry, it don't, mo- it don't mean nothing. What about you? Are you born again? That's what matters. I'm going to ask you today, if that's you, to come clean with yourself. I'm standing here as Ananias. And I'm telling you right now, God loves you and God's got a plan for your life. That's not just something Baptists say. That's the truth. And you can kick against them goads all you want to. You can resist that tug in your heart that you know you're not right with God. You can resist that all you want to. But the day's coming when it'll do you no good because all you're doing is destroying yourself. Because God put that tug in your heart to let you know this guy's talking to you. And by the way, that ain't him talking to you. That's me talking through him to you. And quit resisting the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Come clean with yourself. God, you're right. You are right. I'm lost. I may have been a good mother. I may have been a good father. I may have been a good church member. But God, I've never come to that place. I've never been there where I saw myself the way his guys, this old fat, crazy rednecks hollering and screaming about. God, I see now. I'm lost. And I'm without you. God, I believe you love me. And you you brought this to me this morning so I could repent and take side with you against myself. God, I'm doing that right now. God, I take side with you against myself. And I repent and I come to you in faith, believing not what I'm going to get out of the deal, I'm coming as you, Lord of my life. I'm coming to do what your will is for my life because you're worthy of my life. If hell's at the end of it, so be it. But I'm coming to you in faith, believing. If that's you this morning, you can be born again sitting right where you're at. If that's you and that's your attitude, I'm going to pray for you right now. And at the end of that prayer, I want you to stand to your feet and come forward. Do not hesitate because one second may be too many. I don't give invitations, you know that. But I'm telling you, I prayed about it for a little while. No, I wasn't praying. I was procrastinating. And that man's in hell right now. Don't do that, because that might be you. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for the day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of the Spirit to preach with boldness and authority, God, not of my own power. But God, in your name and in your power, I bring this to, to you, to the end, to the close. I ask you to draw the net and do with that thing that only you can do, God. And that is to save a soul and change a life. God, for your glory, I ask it. In these last days, Lord, raise us up, God. The ones of us who are here who do know you, God, set our hearts ablaze, God. Let us go out with a bang, God. Do it, Lord, for your glory. We give you glory and honor and praise. I do pray for anyone who is here who don't know you, Lord, as their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, you'll save those people people this morning. For your glory, God, do it right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. Do it all you can do With one word the mountains move When you breathe the dead arise And the bones come back to life There is power